welcome to the College Climate Collective, a podcast making all things environmental approachable. This is for avid environmentalists, those who are just getting into sustainability, and everyone in between. My name is Sky. My name is Natalie, and on this episode, we're discussing corporate performative activism by looking at examples of greenwashing. Um, but before we dive into that, we want to define two terms, the first one being greenwashing. And greenwashing is the term coined by environmentalist Jay Westervelt in 1986. So it's defined as when a company invests more in marketing itself as environmentally friendly rather than actually making tangible efforts. And the goal would be profit rather than environmentalism. And there's a quote by Sharon Better, I'm guessing is how you say it. Um, and she, yeah, close enough. Um, and she essentially says, The quote is, it is easier and less costly to change the way people think about reality than it is to change reality, which I think is just a great way to summarize. Very profound. It's wildly profound (laughs) and it just gets at the core of greenwashing. So the next definition that we want to go over is sustainability, just because obviously it comes up a lot and the definition is also just pretty inconsistent. There's lots of ways that you can use it. Um, So we're gonna have one specific one that we use in this podcast episode. So we will use the definition from the UN, which states sustainability is meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs, which I think sums it up really, really well. Yeah. So with all that being said, now we're just gonna dive in. We're gonna get at the greenwashing examples. So first we're gonna talk about Coca-Cola, which we chose as a really good example of a company that uses greenwashing to sell a pro- as, as kind of like a tool to sell a product that in a truly environmentally friendly world shouldn't even exist in the first place. Yes, very contradictory. It, it uses the environmentalist movement to further consumerism, which is completely ironic because it's hard to imagine a world where both can exist. Right, because consumption has essentially caused this beautiful climate change issue that we live in today, (laughs) or one of the causes anyway. Um, And before we, you know, get too much further into this topic, I do want to say that we are acknowledging that it is good that companies are seeing the environmentalist movement and seeing the demand for it in their products. Um, However, we also need to address that the issue is more nuanced than just the quote unquote solutions that they're presenting. And on that note, also not blaming the consumer for purchasing the products. Um, If you have the means to choose a different provider, that's amazing. But we also understand that like sometimes this is your only option. But all that being said, the first example or specific example from Coca-Cola is their Dasani water bottles, which come with three sort of environmental claims. So The first one being that they use plant materials. The second one that they reduce the bottle's carbon emissions by 25% and that the bottle is 100% recyclable. So these are kind of like the, I don't know, like tangible action greenwashing words that they're using to convince you that they're doing good for the world. Yeah, so (laughs) sustainability buzzwords, which it's something that we have read about in an article, which we'll link in the notes if you want to take a look at. But like the 
the idea of plant materials, quote unquote, being sustainable. It goes along with this this list of buzzwords that we often hear, like all natural, eco-friendly, chemical-free, non-toxic, which I have my own gripe with that because everything is made of chemicals. Yeah, that's um, pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, but like these are, are unregulated by the FDA. There's no standard definition. So these terms don't have anything to actually back them up. There's, they're just created to make us feel good about our consumption. They don't actually indicate any environmental efforts. So yeah. So in addition, in addition to these buzzwords, they also use advertising and marketing tactics to also make us again, feel good, like feel like we're being environmentally conscious. Um, So for example, they will use um, cultural associations with nature and cultural, I mean, according to like here in the United States can vary Mm -hmm. country to country, but um, you know, like using green on their packaging in on the, you know, anywhere in the advertisement. Um, there's even a very specific image that I have in my mind of these Dasani water bottles like blooming from a plant. Yeah. This is like, quite bizarre. <laughs> um, so leaves, the recycling logo, all that kind of stuff to invoke that sense of like a natural, clean, very like healthy for you, for the earth. Um, very tailored to convince the consumer that they can still act sustainably while simultaneously purchasing their products, even though as you know, many people in the sustainable movement understand reducing is the best and most effective way to be um, a conscious consumer. So yeah, little, you know, again, the irony of it all, um, you know, and again, the goal is to just make you feel good about not only the product, but the brand. So they're really getting, drilling it into you. <laughs> Um, so now I'm going to break down like what those three claims were and what they really mean. Kind of like how Sky said, there are these sustainability buzzwords, but they're, the meaning is a little muddled like when you get into the nitty gritty of it. So first one is plant materials. Um, you know, while there may be plant materials in the water bottle, it's still made of PET, which is polyethylene terephthalate I believe is how you say this long yeah it just word. inherently does not sound sustainable <laughs> <laughs> right just that word in itself I mean that's basically what all plastic water bottles are made of so regardless of what plant material is in it this bottle can't be isn't compostable it's not biodegradable either in land or sea so there isn't much weight to this whole like plant material phrase yeah and like another tactic that companies use is claiming things are biodegradable but not Mm -hmm. claiming how long it takes to biodegrade. So it might take like a ridiculous amount of time, but it might eventually biodegrade after generations after use. Right. It it really doesn't hold much weight. Yeah. And like technically all plastic is, I mean, I don't know, technically (laughs) plastic will biodegrade eventually. Yeah, I'm sure at some point. It might be like 10,000 years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, you really, again, like these words are quite um, broad. Um, Okay, so then the next one, reducing carbon emissions by 25%. Again, great, we love it, kind of. (laughs) Um, This is important because you need to put these things into context, which is greenwashing a lot of the times takes it out of context. So if we look at the carbon emissions of the entire bottled water industry as a whole, it produces more than 2.5 million tons of carbon dioxide in a year. So going back to the 25% thing, sure, yeah, you know, that reduces it, but 
at what cost? Like the water bottle itself is still going to be contributing a lot. Um, and that also negates the whole, you know, all the other side effects that come with producing plastic water bottles. For example, one liter of Dasani water requires three liters of water to produce. So I don't know, that's just a ridiculous paradox. <laughs> it is. There's <laughs> paradox is really a, a trend and a theme yes. of this episode. <laughs> um, so then the last one, 100% recyclable. Again, I'm going to say it, it needs context. First, focusing on recycling reemphasizes that um, the responsibility to protect, protect the environment is on the consumer, which kind of as we stated with the disclaimer is already somewhat backwards. Um, and again, removes the responsibility from the corporation. The second piece to that is that, so recycling is done at the local level. So due to you know, varying financial reasons or other factors, only about 20% of the 3.6 billion single serving plastic water bottles purchased in the US every year actually make it to a recycling plant. Um, and you know, Coca-Cola doesn't provide their own recycling program to solve this problem, which would actually be something that made significant difference in you know, the climate change and environmentalist movements. Um, so again, kind of somewhat more of a piece of evidence that you know, if they really truly cared about their impact on the world, they would be putting their efforts and initiatives into a program like this one. Especially because recycling is so expensive. I, I feel like we don't really hear enough about how expensive it is to yeah. recycle things. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other obstacle that is, you know, kind of brushed aside. So Coca-Cola doesn't have to deal with that part, but they still claim the benefits of claiming mm -hmm. to be recyclable. Right. Exactly. Without doing anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that 100% recyclable claim, while the bottle itself might be 100% recyclable, that doesn't mean every bottle is going back into a brand new bottle, um, unfortunately. And, yeah. you know, obviously we're not talking about economics. I, for one, definitely don't know enough about economics <laughs> <laughs> to explain how a company like Coca-Cola might change its business model to not be based off of these single-use plastics. However, that recycling program, for an example, is, you know, something that would be effective. And we also need to keep in mind, like, how big and powerful Coca-Cola is. I'm going to link a, is this like an article or a blog, whatever, a source. A resource. Yes, that you can go reference that highlights, I would just like to add just the notable brands and products that Coca-Cola is a part of. So I'll just list a few just so you can get a feel for it. Sprite, Fanta, Smart Water, like Simply Orange, Vitamin Water, Adwala, like there's, there's a lot. And this is like, it's scary. Yeah, it's very all encompassing. And, you know, obviously, we don't really like think Coca-Cola when we see these um, products, but it just goes to show how much influence they could have. Um, yeah. And how they're not really relying on these Dasani water bottles to make a living, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it it's just silly how we kind of take as consumers, individual consumers, we believe we like we can make an impact, but these companies have so much power. They have every resource in the world to yeah. make change. Yeah. Somehow we still feel responsible. It's, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And on top of that, like these big companies, a lot of the ecological consequences that would arise from 
you know, their products are evaluated through an economic lens with cost benefit mm -hmm. analysis. And by doing so, the commercial interests and profits are always going to outweigh the environment yeah. just because, you know, that's a short term benefit and the environment is very long term. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, just to wrap up our spiel about Coca Cola. This great example back in 2009 from Coca-Cola's My Coke Rewards. Um, they did this on Earth Day. It said, in honor of Mother Nature, you can earn double points April 20th through the 30th, enjoying any 12 pack of the sun. It's a great way to enjoy Earth Day. I have no words. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, so it's a hypocrisy. It doesn't make any sense. They're really, perpetuating consumerism while claiming to be celebrating Earth Day, which right. is just, you, yeah. It's very, yeah, it's, it's quite silly. <laughs> and it's just the prime example of how the environment is really sacrificed for financial benefit. So not yeah. to end on a sour note, but. <laughs> they're like the poster child of, of greenwashing. They, I mean, most people in this movement understand how, you know, the kind of company they are and how horrible they are to the environment. Um, yeah. But there are also other companies that are maybe making a little bit more of an effort. So there's kind of a bright side. Yeah, up to um, debate, but you know. <laughs> maybe. We're, we're going to look at the, the fast fashion industry. So immediately when you hear that, you, you know, you have a negative connotation. You immediately think of the waste, the, the overconsumption. Um, so we'll get into that. It definitely mm -hmm. goes hand in hand with greenwashing. Um, another yeah. disclaimer, we're not here to criticize consumers. We understand the companies need to be better. Um, we can do our best to reduce consumption, but people's level of privilege determines our ability to pick and choose which companies we want to support. So there yeah. are tons of other factors working against us yeah. as individual consumers. But that being said, fast fashion, um, I feel like most people know what the definition is, but to be clear, it's highly profitable business model based on producing cheap clothing at an extremely rapid rate by mass market retailers. And it's responsible for 10% of annual global greenhouse gas emissions. And 85% of clothing just in the United States is thrown away to landfills. That's 3.8 billion pounds a year, 80 pounds per person in the United States alone. Yeah, and that is isn't yeah, it's wild. And like, you know, even if you go to donate your clothes at a thrift store, again, like, it's great. But um, if you're just, you know, buying clothes and then donating it to a thrift store, most of that also gets put into the landfill. Or, yeah. um, you know, when you return your clothes back to the retail store, like, it doesn't just get put back on the shelf, like, they no. burn it or, you know, whatever. It, it's, it's, it's thrown away and it goes somewhere else that ultimately, you know, is going to have detrimental effects on the earth. Yeah, it's it's another attempt at greenwashing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's there's environmental hazards, but they're also in, entwined with unethical, unsafe working conditions, underpaid labor, child labor, pollution of local communities, which is disproportionately communities of color. So all of these, like this topic of greenwashing does not stand alone. It is interrelated with all ethical concerns about mm -hmm. labor. Um, yeah. So We'll move on to the specific spotlight company, which is H&M. Um, it's a popular company. It comes up a lot in conversations about greenwashing. It has kind of a not super great history in the fast fashion industry. Yeah, I feel like um, if you've gotten involved in the sustainability climate change movement, 
you've definitely heard something or other about H&M and yeah you know their practices yeah. it's they're huge they're they're the second largest retailer in the world they operate in 62 different countries and they don't have a great reputation they had they like it's well known among the like sustainability and ethical consumption community in 2018 they failed to meet a goal to pay workers a living wage so right. like that's not necessarily an environmental specifically um concern but if we're looking but, towards their environmental goals and then we compare yeah. it to how they've dealt with previous goals you know it's not looking too great no that's very concerning so they do have a current climate plan which is to be climate positive by 2040 and to have a climate neutral supply chain to reduce global um, greenhouse gas emissions by 40 percent by 2030 and their baseline is from 2017 and to increase their renewable energy uh, sourcing from 95 to 100% by 2030. Um, their main goal in their plan is to only use recycled or sustainable sourced materials by 2030, which sounds really great. Like they have a solid plan. Yeah. Um, and just an example of a sustainably sourced material, organic cotton gets brought up a lot. It's, it is actually fairly sustainable compared to non-organic cotton because non-organic cotton um, is it takes much more water and it takes water from natural resources that are used by communities, but organic cotton takes 91% less water than non-organic water, which is right. really impressive. Yeah. So if we're talking in terms of H&M, then what is their quote unquote sustainable source material that they are claiming to use by 2030? So the material they're using or will use is called circulose. It's a sustainable fabric made from upcycled clothing. So it's using fashion waste, um, primarily from cotton jean fabric. It's made by this Swedish company called Renewcell or Renewcell. Um, so they partnered with this Swedish company and H&M will be the first company to make these clothes with this material. That sounds um, pretty good. But honestly. yeah, it sounds yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> there is a catch. It's going to be 50% circulose and 50% viscose, which is kind of mm. a hot button topic in the environmentalist sphere. Um, so first circulose, it sounds great. It actually closes the loop because if you're right. talking about reusing waste material, that is the definition of closing the loop of production is using this waste gene fabric to make a new material. Um, it's also vegan. It's quote unquote non-toxic, which means it doesn't use specifically harsh chemical materials during manufacturing. Yeah, so and they find it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they did. Their, it's not just a standalone non-toxic. There is something right. to back that up, um, which we'll also see when we talk about viscose, mm. um, except not great. So yeah. viscose is made from wood pulp, so cellulose, um, but the process uses really harsh chemicals, specifically um, carbon disulfide and other chemicals that are linked to heart disease, birth defects, skin conditions, cancer, and also it impacts people not only working in factories, but living around factories. So it's- Good, that's horrifying. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> and I think um, like recent studies have shown there've been improvements on the, like the manufacturing process. It's not as like polluting, but it's still, mm -hmm. it relies on trees. So it's contributing to deforestation if it's not, um, you know, kind of more ethical deforestation. Yeah. It contributes to habitat de destruction, 
um, the dissolving process wastes 70% of the trees or generally 70% or oh, more wow. or less. Um, but still like it's creating waste and pollution. It's not great. So you have this like 50% of this really innovative, progressive, sustainable material, circulose, and also viscose, which they market as sustainable because it's made from trees. Right. So that that's greenwashing. Like overall, we can just discuss if this is like a good attempt, but saying viscose is good because it's made from trees. That's not true. <laughs> it's right. clearly not. Um, so like the main argument against this new campaign as to like why this is greenwashing was made by, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. I apologize. Um, Venetia Lamana, I think she's an anti-fashion or anti-fast fashion campaigner. So she argued, like, while this might be a great step forward for H&M, the fact that Circulose, this really great company, is partnering with H&M, the, like, one of the biggest fast fashion companies, is the root of the problem. Because it's going to be impossible to reach a net zero when you're already relying on a model that is inherently not sustainable. Right. Yeah. This is, like, so reminding me of another H&M ad that I just... I keep getting um, <laughs> it's their collaboration with Lee. And one of the things that they say in this ad is like, oh, um, sustainability and fast fashion, like crazy. It almost sounds like a paradox. And I was just like, cause mm -hmm. it is, what the, like, it is. there's no way that you can maintain this culture of overconsumption and, you know, continuous trends changing while saying that you're sustainable. No, it just yeah. really doesn't make any sense. There, there is kind of like, you're, you're inclined to say like, this is a really great attempt. They're obviously, they have some clear goals. They have a little bit more transparency than I've seen at other companies because of how they like produce their reports and they, they have their goals on their website. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. The focus should be on reducing consumption and slowing production, not finding ways around continuing fast production. Right. So it's still, it's, you can argue this is still greenwashing. It's maybe it's a praiseworthy attempt. I don't know. Um, but yeah. they're still maintaining a business model that's harmful. Um, this industry is built on a culture of mass consumption. That is, right. that's the problem. Bottom line right. is the fast fashion business model is inherently unsustainable. And individual consumers, like we've said before in this podcast, we, we can't solve this crisis. It needs to be something that those companies should address. They have the resources to do so. Yeah. And um, this is like a good start, you know, like it's not, Yeah, we'd rather there is some sustainable action, but yeah. I would definitely agree that, you know, the, I guess the danger of greenwashing is that people see that companies are doing the bare minimum, it seems, and just being complacent in that and seeing that that is that's almost like that's good enough when, you know, in reality, it's far from good enough. Yeah. I, I was watching a video by Tiffany Ferg. She has a really great video um, talking about celebrity closets, but also just the culture <laughs> of mass consumption. Um, and I think she summed it up really well. I'm just going to give a summary. She said, those with priv the privilege of time, money, and choice should be mindful consumers. Mm -hmm. But you should also acknowledge that it's unrealistic to strive for perfection as an individual consumer. Because, you know, it's, it's out of our, a lot of this is out of our control. It, a lot of it has to do with changes that need to be done yeah. on a much bigger scale. But basically, if you have the ability to do so, be a good person when it comes to your 
your uh, consumption. Um, a lot of times, sustain like sustainable fashion is out of reach for lower income households yeah. and individuals due to a whole other set of mechanisms which reinforce income inequality. And we're, we're not going to get into that. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's another podcast. Episode. It is another podcast. Yeah. Well, I guess so then with that in mind, for those who do have the choice to really consider and think about where they're giving their dollar to, let's give them some tips for getting around yeah. greenwashing and doing your very best to be an ethical consumer while living in this capitalist model that we are in currently. Yeah, we'll end on a higher note because this is a little, little, a little bit sad. Yeah, and we're um, making this if, approachable. <laughs> yes, we want yes. it to seem attainable and like something that we can conquer in our day-to-day -day lives. Yes, like we keep saying the individual consumer shouldn't have all this pressure because you know there's there's other factors that we should be considering. But as an individual consumer, there are some things you can do. Yeah. Um, the resource goodonyou.eco is really great for a starting point when you're researching brands. So if you want to know, is this brand making an effort? Are they a little bit sustainable? Are they, you know, laying out some goals? Mm -hmm. Look at that website, um, but use that as a jumping off point. Um, some general tips. Um, I think we're all aware of these, but it's fun. It's, it's fine to reinforce them. Yeah. Don't criticize people for repeating outfits. You know, it, it, the pressure to be constantly changing with a trend perpetuates mm -hmm. fast fashion. Um, you know, just be nice, understanding. Don't shame people too much, which is what we're trying to do. We don't want to shame people by telling them that you should never shop with these fast, fast fashion retailers because in some cases it might be your only option. Right. And body size and shape is another factor thrifting and sustainable shopping can be difficult because of a lack of sizing options. So take everything into account, be a good person if you can. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And just like, you know, so now we're going back to Coca-Cola, I guess, which again, like if you have access to clean water, a running tap, you know, use that. That's great. <laughs> but if not, if there are other circumstances or just like in general, when you're going out into the world and buying your products, I think we all know reduce, reuse, recycle, Reducing yeah. is like a, a bottom line, the best thing that you can do. <laughs> um, recycling really has to be a last resort option. Um, but if you're going to buy, there are some things that you can look out for to make sure that companies are you know, putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. Um, for example, kind of like you were saying, Sky, like companies that are truly having you know, they're really taking the steps to being environmentally conscious are also going to be very transparent about their sources, their materials, how they're manufacturing it, all that stuff. So you should be able to find that information with relative ease. You can also look into who owns the company. For example, vitamin water. That's a good owned, one. Owned by Coca-Cola. So, you know, that's uh, one tip right there. Look for claims that are very specific, kind of going back to, for example, the biodegradable discussion you know what do they mean by biodegradable how how soon um you know and, and see how committed they are to whatever claims they're making um and in general if you can support a smaller business i mean you know that comes with a whole slew of other positives but you can also get a little bit more i think it's easier to get information from smaller businesses you can reach out yeah, to definitely them, um in a little bit more of a personal manner and really you know, see if they are making sustainable efforts. Um, and we're going to leave a link to um, some 
authentic seals, I guess, that, you know, do have, again, some meaning behind them. Um, let's see, I guess an example would kind of be like the fair trade logo of that. Yeah. You know, you can look up what that means. You can, you know, there's um, some sort of guidelines around that. So, you know, investigate the packaging, see what it is that you're buying and, yeah, hopefully, you know, these are some tips that help you and make you feel a little less overwhelmed, give you the tools <laughs> you need to be yes. what we would call it, in, a, you know, a conscious consumer. And yeah. You can find any of the resources and research we use on our website underneath the audio for this episode. If you're interested in learning more about the environmental movement, you can check out our other episodes on finding your niche in your day-to-day -day life and also on a spiritual and emotional level. And also on the website, you can find other resources that might help you continue your research and find other ways that you can get involved. Check out the College Climate Collective site to find more research resources that we think you might find helpful in learning more about the movement.